We're going to be studying this week and next week on the Book of Jews. And it's a very short book. It's one chapter. It has, I think, 25 verses. Uh, yeah, 25 verses. But before we get into actually reading the scripture, I looked up some stuff. Let's just kind of study about the man that wrote it. Now, his name is from the Greek, from the Greek form of Judah. It could be translated into Jude or Judas. And Jude was a popular name back then. And you don't have to turn over there, but in Matthew 13, 55, as Judas, he was listed as Jesus' brother. And it named James and Joseph and Simon along with him. And he wrote the book of Jude, and it's a Jewish book where he refers to himself as just a servant of the Lord, or a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. We are servants of the Lord. If we're a Christian, we are just a servant of the Lord. We're not anything fancy. We're not anything special. We're just servants of the Lord. Now, with that being, let me say we shouldn't think of ourselves as anything. But as being a Christian and a born again into the family of Christ, that makes us something. Within ourselves, we are nothing. But we should all be servants of Jesus Christ. I can't hear you for this. We are special in the eyes of God. Within ourselves, we are nothing. But through Jesus Christ, we have become joint heirs. And as Christians, aren't we all supposed to be servants of Jesus Christ? You know, I think sometimes we forget that and we get it backwards. We think when we get saved, Jesus Christ is to be our servant. That's not how it works. We work for Him. And when we do then he'll fulfill his part. So we need to remember that. We need to remember that we're supposed to be doing things for him and we're supposed to want to please him. So Judas or Jude was first mentioned in the gospel account of one of Jesus' visits to his hometown at Nazareth. And when the people heard that Jesus was teaching he was teaching in the synagogue. Well, they were first struck by his wisdom, and then they responded with skepticism. How is it that when we first get saved, people are like, oh yeah, I see something different. But then their next reaction is, let's see how long it'll last. They wait for us to fail and trip up. And that's kind of the way they were there. They found it difficult to believe that this Jesus was the brother of Jude. 
I mean, they knew his brothers as carpenters. And they could have, I guess, they could have become inspired by his teaching and then thought, well, wait a minute. So the skepticism is recorded in the gospel. And it says that Jude did not believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah until after the resurrection. And isn't that kind of how it is with our own families? You know, first they don't want to believe we got saved, and then they don't want to listen about Jesus Christ, that someone else can come along and tell them something and they'll listen to them. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful God sends somebody else through their path that will talk to them and touch to them. But even though you didn't believe in the beginning that Jesus Christ was who he was, after the resurrection, his faith was sincere, his morals were high, and that's the kind of faith that he urged his readers to have. Now, there's no age limit or time on salvation. You can get saved when you're young, you can get saved when you're old. Doesn't make any difference or any time in between for that matter. God will give his forgiveness to us at any age. All you have to do is ask for it. Now, Jude's, it says his unaddressed letter, and I say it's for us today. You know, this book, this, and I don't, I don't like calling it a book, but the Bible was written many, many, many years ago. But that doesn't mean that it's still not alive for us today. We're supposed to live by it's the living Word of God. And Jude's letter, it focuses on moral teaching from a Jewish perspective. And it uses Old Testament people and settings as a basis for his readings and his illustrations. So Jude's letter contains some pretty stern words about false teachers. And he cautions his readers not to assume that everyone who talked faith was truly a believer, but to evaluate words and deeds. Well, aren't we supposed to have the discerning of spirits today? Aren't we supposed to watch people for the fruit that they bear? Does it talk about we're judged by the fruit that we bear? We're supposed to bear good fruit if we're Christians. So we need to do the same thing today. We need to be careful. Just because somebody says they're a Christian doesn't make them a Christian. So their words and actions, they're going to show if they bear godly fruit. What do our words and our actions show the world? So hopefully you're all there at Jude. And I'm going to read, before we get into the scripture, I want to read just the first part in my Bible, and it's probably in your Bible too, about what it says. It says, fight, contend, do battle. When apostasies arise, when false teachers emerge, when the truth of God is attacked, it is time to fight for the faith. Only believers who are spiritually in shape can answer the summons. At the beginning of his letter, Jude focuses on the believer's common salvation, but then feels compelled to challenge them to contend for the faith. 
The danger is real. False teachers have crept into the church, turning God's grace into unbound license to do as they please. Jude reminds such men of God's past dealings with unbelieving Israel, disobedient angels, and wicked Sodom and Gomorrah. In the face of such danger, Christians should not be caught off guard. The challenge is great, but so is the God who is able to keep them from stumbling. Fight. Contend. Do battle. If you're a Christian, you're in a battle. And it says it's not flesh and blood that we battle with. So we're all in a battle. We're at a war with the world that wants to consume us. It wants us to learn to accept sin or maybe turn our head and look the other way so if we don't see it, then it won't have an effect on us. But that is a lie from the devil. We can't turn our heads to sin. And we sure can't approve of it. Sin is sin. And that's what Jude was trying to tell them. People are going to come in and say, oh, we can do it this way. And if it's not godly, then we don't need to be doing it. So... It said, only believers who are spiritually in shape. I'm glad it said spiritually. Because if it meant physically, I'd be in trouble. But we can be spiritually in shape. We need to read the Word and pray and fellowship with other Christians. Read our Bibles. You push your body. When you're trying to get in shape, you push your body past its comfort zone. Karen talked about the comfort zone this morning. But you have to. What is it? No pain, no gain, they say. To get your muscles in order, you have to work them. Well, it's the same way with our spirituality. We have to work it. We have to make sure that we stay in a shape that we need to. You don't stay in physical shape, your muscles grow weak. You don't stay in spiritual shape, your faith is going to grow weak. And both of them can be harmful. So if we grow spiritually weak, faith can cause us to doubt, can cause us to lose our joy, our peace, can cause us to be anxious and worried. So once all this starts going on, then it's easier for us to slip up and sin or even go back into the life that we had before. And Jude was trying to warn people that this can happen. That if we don't keep our guard up, we're not watchful, stuff like that can happen. Now go to Jude. We're going to start in the first verse. It says, Jude, if you can stand for the reading of the word, it says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. 
Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. You can be seated. To them that are sanctified by God the Father. See, we can't clean ourselves up. We can try, and we can quit some habits. But for us to be truly sanctified, it has to be done through the Holy Spirit. And this was Christians that he was writing to. Not just for back then, but I think, like I said a while ago, for today too. Because this was good for the past, the present, and the future. And he cared about the people. He said mercy and peace and love is what he greeted them with. Do we greet people with mercy and love? And of course we talk about exhorting. And that's just to advise strongly. Verse 4 says, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into the lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord, Jesus Christ. So they'll tell you just a little sin won't matter. They'll bring in just a little bit of something that might not be sin, but may not be just right. And if you approve of that or accept that, then it'll grow a little bigger, and it'll grow a little bigger, and then you will have sin in your life. So they won't tell anybody, you know. They'll come in. Some people, especially people that knew you before you got saved, well, go ahead, we'll do this. Nobody's going to know. I'm not going to tell anybody. God's a forgiving God, and yes, He is. But it will start with the little sin, which really we talked about earlier. There are no degrees of sin. Sin is sin. doesn't matter. But then it's going to become something else and something else until you don't even bother to ask God for forgiveness. Beware. Verse 5 through 7 says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Even the angels. And they will with God. Jude reminds us that there is a price to pay for sin. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter how much money you have. Doesn't matter what social status you have. 
there is a price that you will pay for sin. And if it's here on this earth, they don't come in and take your joy. But if you stand before God and sin in your life, that price will be forever. Will be throughout eternity. Even the angels were held accountable. If God held the very angels accountable, don't you think He's going to hold us accountable? Yes, He will. And we need to recognize that and realize that and live our life knowing that. And if the angels that were in heaven with God, if they were punished, don't you think man will be too? goes back to read this. It tells you no one is going to be above standing before God. And we need to live our life here realizing we're going to be standing before Him. In verse 8 and 9 it says, Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuked thee. Michael didn't get into an argument with Satan over Moses' body. He just rebuked him in the name of the Lord. And when things are going on in our life, and sin comes up or something that may not be just right, rebuke it in the name of the Lord. And I've said this before, sitting on a pew, there were times when I'd be thinking about what I needed to do at home or the next day or with the kids. Satan was trying to steal my blessing out of the message that was going forth. And he will any way he can. He's not going to come at you full face. He's going to come slithering in from the side or a crack in the door that you've left open. And once you realize, so that if there were many times I sat on the pew and said, Satan, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ, I'm going to listen to the Word. I want to hear the Word of God. I'm going to be real honest. I need to hear the Word of God. It's not that I want to. I need to. I need that regeneration. I need that encouragement. I need that message because when we come through those doors, we're going to get out of the message what we put into it. If we come through expecting something from God, we're going to get it. If we come through thinking, man, I'll be glad when church is over with. I only came because everybody expected me to. Well, if that's the only reason you came, you're not going to get anything out of it. I come expecting something from God. And I know He's going to deliver. And I know I'm going to get a blessing. Whether it be something that was said in the service. Whether it be... Even somebody else getting a blessing blesses me. You know, we should rejoice when other people get a blessing. We shouldn't be envious. 
Our time will come. You don't know what they're going through at that time. They may need that at that time to help them carry on. So be happy when that happens. Be happy when I get a blessing. I love hearing God's word. So we need to remember that even the angels didn't get by with not doing what God told them to do. And sometimes we try to fight our battles on our own. We might win a few physical, but you're not going to win a spiritual battle without God. You just can't. It's not within you as a human to do that. Jesus will fight our battles for us. Verse 10 says, But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts is those things that corrupt themselves. Speak of evil things that they know not. Of course, we kind of talk about gossip and lies in the tongue this morning. How many people, before they get saved, don't have a lot of good to say about Jesus and his plan of salvation? Like, I think Brother Leon said, try to give a Bible to somebody and they touch them. If they're not saved, they don't understand the love and peace and joy of Jesus Christ. If, if they don't understand, who is it that should be telling them if not us Christians? So sometimes they blame God for things that have happened in their life, whether it be the death of a loved one or loss of a job. Well, if God is so loving and forgiving, then why did this happen? Well, for one thing, we live in the world of sin. And it says it's going to rain on the just and the unjust, that the wheat will be with the tares. But come harvest, Jesus will separate them. We don't separate them. Jesus will separate them. You can fool yourself into believing something that isn't so. If you are around something or you tolerate something, long enough, you're going to think it's alright. I think we get callous to it, for lack of a better word. We see so much sin in the world nowadays that we just take the attitude, as long as it doesn't affect me, then it's okay. If it's sin, it's sin, and it is not okay whether it affects you or not. Goes back to sin and sin. And you know, if you or somebody else tells yourself over and over and over again that something's true, you're going to start to believe it. Kind of a form of brainwashing. You tell a child they're mean, they're mean, they're mean, or they're never going to count to anything. They're going to grow up believing that. You encourage a child and you tell them that they are so smart and they can do 
just about anything and encourage them, and they're going to strive harder to do that because they have belief in themselves. But it just doesn't have to stop with the child. I have seen a lot of women browbeat husbands and tell them that, you know, you'll never amount to anything, blah, blah, blah. And husbands do the wives the same way. Eventually, they start to believe it. Well, as Christians, we're to share the light of God's love to the world and let these people know that they matter. They matter to God and they matter to us. And we have to be careful about false teachers. And that's what Judah's been trying to tell them. And if we don't tell the world, then who will? Because the world's not going to tell the world it's wrong. The world's not going to pray for the world. The world is not going to want the, God's love to be shown. And if we deny something, or if we look it up, look over it again and again and again, we'll kind of start to doubt the truth of it and wonder if it's a falsehood. That's why it's so important to stay in the Word and read God's Word. That's the truth. This, this is the truth. I can tell you anything, but that doesn't make it true. And I hopefully would never lie about anything, but I might could misquote or tell you something that I thought was right that maybe wasn't. This never lies. This is always true. And that's why I say read it for yourself so you know. But if you keep hearing it or keep seeing it, they used to say about computers, junk in, junk out. You don't put the right formula in there. You don't put the right password in there. You're not going to get what you want. Well, it's the same way with us. If we put junk in, we watch or listen to stuff that we shouldn't. If we hang around with people that we shouldn't. We're going to eventually start to do some of those things. So... Jude is saying, fight. Do battle. Stay away from that stuff. Stay where you need to be. And his, y'all can read the rest of it and we'll go over the rest of it next week. But if you're a Christian, you're going to have to stand up for your faith. Because people will come at you wanting to question your faith or wanting you to question your faith, they'll come at you to try to make you doubt your faith. They'll try to make you doubt your salvation. They'll try to make you doubt God, especially when we're going through a hard time. And as Christians, we will go through hard times. But if we're not careful, these false teachers or these wolves in sheep's clothing, they'll come in and they'll say, well, if God loves you, why is he letting you go through this? If your God is a forgiving God, why did this happen? If 
God's with you all the time. Why did this happen to you? He was there with you. Why would he let that happen? Because we live in a sinful world. Christians have bad things happen to them too. But we have an advantage. Because while we're going through the bad things, He takes me by the hand. And He's going to walk me through it. I love that footprints in the sand. I wonder how many times God carried me because I didn't have the strength to take another step. So we've gone through verse 1 through 10. Next week we'll do 11 through 25. Y'all want to read that? Any comments? It's just kind of a Bible study. So if you've got comments and stuff, bring them. Let's discuss it. And Robert, that's all I've got.